like your tattoos. What are those numbers on your arm? Oh, that's uh, the date my dad died. He was a fireman. Died in a fire 17 years ago. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Don't be, it's fine. Knock, knock. Who's there? Not your dad. <laughs> you can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to the next entry in the Step and Repeat Film Festival series. I am Andrew and I'm joined here today by Matt. Hello. And uh, I guess to fill folks in who haven't been around recently, Matt and I are doing a month-long festival, film festival, honoring all new movies since we're all still stuck at home in the age of COVID. And each of our episodes is sort of the discussion session following the premiere. So the way an in-person film festival would run. And so far we've covered Shirley and The Five Bloods. And this week we're moving on to The King of Staten Island, the new Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson dramedy, whose trailer you heard at the top of the episode. Uh, and it is now available to rent at home for the low price of nineteen ninety nine. <laughs> a topic I'm sure we all talk I, about. I will always be a defender of that. I, I think nineteen ninety nine is actually a very fair price, especially if you have multiple people watching. Well, that's um, that's the sort of thing I want to kind of mention. Like, is it worth it spending nineteen ninety nine on it? Yeah. So, um, but I guess before we get into The King of Staten Island, uh, let's kick things off with our new opening segment. What are you watching? Where we give ourselves a sort of soapbox, like a couple minutes to talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. <laughs> uh, what we're watching that week. Um, other movies, TV shows, the news, whatever. So um, I went first last week, so... Matt, what are you watching? Sure, yeah. Well, um, yeah, I've watched a lot of the news, uh, but, you know, that's all sad and depressing. So I uh, tried to watch, I guess, a couple uplifting movies, if you want to call them uplifting. Um, so the first movie I watched, which I'll just gloss over real quick because it's not even worth talking about, was um, Artemis Fowl, the new Disney Plus movie that was, like, supposed to be, like, this, like, epic start of this, like, I guess, like, book series um it, it almost reminded me of like ender's game but on earth um but i guess like i had heard about it back when they first started making it and i checked out like the book i didn't read the book but i was like oh it's like based on a book and um yeah like artemis fowl it should be cool like i'm excited for it the effects should be good oh judy denter's in it great um and then like i heard josh gadman is in it, and i was like oh god um but like josh gad like, who like farts out dirt right yeah like, I just can't stand Josh Gad at all. Yeah, that was not a misrepresentation. Like, that actually happens. Yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> oh, yeah, true to form. Um, it just, like, was not good. And, like, it's an hour and a half. It's very short. Um, just don't waste your time. Don't waste your, like, free subscription money on <laughs> Disney Plus for Artemis Fowl. It just was not worth it. I, like... I said in my review on Letterboxd, I'm like, what Disney executive saw this? And it was, it was like, 
yeah, that's good to go. Like, I just, I question. <laughs> like, I question. That's exactly why they moved it to Disney Plus. Like, it was originally supposed to be in theaters, but they're like, uh, this movie is dirt. What? It's some straight up hot garbage. Yeah. Uh, um, like, that was a waste of $125 million. Let's just put it online. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just like money they can just like throw down the toilet. Just <laughs> literally. Um, anyway, so I did not like that. Um, I'll give that a solid uh, D minus. Um, so the next movie I watched, I watched on Netflix, and it was like a movie that I kept like scrolling by, and I never uh, really paid much attention to it. But like, I guess I was just looking for something to watch the other night, and I ended up turning it on, and um, I kind of got into it. Um, it was called The Last Missy, uh, starring David Spade and uh, a bunch of other people I don't know. Um, the girl from Jurassic World, I I like not her name, um, but Bryce Dallas Howard. No, 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 no. The um, she was like in the control room, uh, but anyway. So I uh, am I getting the name of, or sorry, I'm sorry. It not the last Missy, the wrong Missy. Um, yeah, her name's Lauren Lu Lauren Lucas Lucas. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, and Nick Nick Swarson's also in it. Uh, someone I haven't seen in a long time. Um, and also Sarah Chalk from you may know her from like Roseanne. She played the other the other Becky. Um, so I started watching it and I was like, oh, like, I don't think I'm going to like this, but then like, I guess like an hour, like half an hour into it, I really started liking it. So the wrong Missy is, I guess, David Spade, David Spade plays this guy, Tim, um, and he thinks, so he like, he goes to this retreat for work and he thinks he invited like this woman that he met in an airport, um, like to this retreat that he like really fell in love with. And it was like a really nice meet cute. I'm not fell in love with it, like fell strongly in like with it. Um, it was a really like a nice meet cute, but then like when he gets to the retreat, he like invites this other woman named Missy that he invited that he had like gone on a really bad first date with at the beginning of the movie. Um, and like it's like it was like a horrendous date. But then like they go on this retreat and she like kind of embarrasses herself. She embarrasses him, but then she ends up like making up for it and then. Uh, yeah, so it's it's got a lot of funny moments. It's got a really nice ending, I think. And like overall, like I actually get, like ended up really enjoying it. Um, it was just a nice like Friday night movie if you're like sitting in quarantine bored and you know you want a couple of laughs. Um, David Spade like isn't the horrible actor that I remember that he was, <laughs> but yeah, I I enjoyed it. Like it was like it was, it was like a fun movie. Just a lot of like people you haven't seen <laughs> in a long time. Like thought David, about in ten years <laughs> and like. Uh, 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 Nick Swarzen that does not look like uh, he looked like 10 years ago. I'll just say that. But yeah, I, I mean, it was cute. You know, I, I would recommend it if you're sitting at home bored scrolling Netflix. It's called The Wrong Missy. Not, <laughs> yeah, it's called The Wrong Missy um, and it's on Netflix now. Have you got the right title? Good. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'm watching. And uh, so what are you watching? Yeah. Um, what am I watching? always a lot but the movie that i watched this week that i want to talk about at least a little bit is the movie crash the 2005 best picture winner you love that movie uh is the worst best picture winner of all time <laughs> at least of every movie that i've seen uh far and away 
the worst Best Picture winner. But I don't necessarily want to talk about how horrible Crash is, which it is god-awful and offensive. But there's like one scene in particular that I want to single out and kind of some spoilers for Crash. But it's a scene that involves two characters, and I'll set the stage here. So the two characters are... uh, Matt Dillon, who plays like a racist cop, and Tandy Newton, who is a black woman who is pulled over earlier in the movie by Matt Dillon's character. The movie, the whole movie tries to be about racism and it is not subtle at all. But in this movie, when they're pulled, when Tandy Newton um, and Terrence Howard when their characters are pulled over, Matt Dillon sexually assaults Tandy Newton's character. And it's like, it is like a horrible scene, but so they eventually go home after, after all this happens during the traffic stop, uh, which it was a non-warranted traffic stop to begin with, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, Tandy Newton is rightfully like upset that this happened and like has a big fight scene with her husband about it and multiple fight scenes actually and later in the movie uh, about like 45 minutes to an hour after the sexual assault scene um there is a crash a car crash that with tandy newton and matt dillon's cop character by happenstance comes across the crash and he ends up pulling Tandy Newton out of the car and saving her life in this like harrowing sequence. And Tandy Newton, who is like screaming at her, like, not you, not you, because it's like the man who sexually assaulted her, uh, ends up sort of like crying and in the arms of Matt Dillon's character after he pulls her out of a car in a sort of like, thank you, like for saving my life sort of way, again, from the man who sexually assaulted her. So this movie, I, I watched the movie Crash this week full well knowing it was bad. And knowing that um, I've been like trying to make an effort to watch more movies directed by black directors or starring black actors. So, and they've all been really good. So I intentionally wanted to watch a bad movie sort of to like remind myself that not all movies that tackle race are good. And this movie is not good. And the scene in particular that I'm referring to is not good in today's terms in particular because it's like what would be called copaganda. And that's like not a term I knew really, honestly, before the protests, before the most recent protests with George Floyd. And so those who are kind of unfamiliar with the term copaganda, it's essentially any movie or television show about cops that portrays them always like as the hero and they do the right thing, they act heroically, and are always complimentary towards them. 
And this is actually like the vast, vast majority of cop shows. So like this even includes like really popular things like Law and Order. So they, they like always act heroically. And so I'm like, I generally give more of a pass or like don't care as much about things like Law and Order, but like watching Crash, a like historically bad movie, and watching Tandy Newton's character, who was like the only character that I liked the first time around that I saw this, like being reduced to tears, like crying in the arms of her oppressor was like straight up offensive, I found. And like the worst example of copaganda that you could have on film. So I think that that scene alone just sort of underscores like why I hate the movie Crash. But it gave like, now that I've been sort of introduced to the idea of copaganda and like what it is, made me see this movie in a whole new light and not in a good one. So it's just, I'm now more cognizant of movies that don't portray cops like as an institution sort of in a good light and there are reports like all about this like things that look at movies and television show and cops portrayals of them and show them not being or being complimentary and I can post the link it's like a really fascinating report I think it's called changing color on tv anyway it's just like really fascinating because like there are swaths of the population swaths of the population that like don't see the cops as like necessarily the people who protect and serve and don't see them as the protectors and but that is how we see them on film and that is like how it's portrayed and that leads to our sort of perception of how this of how we as a society view cops. So it's just like a really interesting idea to see into like to a good thought process, like the idea of copaganda. But Crash was like the worst sort of example of that to me. So when I think of like copaganda, I think more of like I, I would have never thought of Crash, but you, I mean you bring up a good point. But I think of like shows like NCIS and like NYPD Blue. Basically any CBS. <laughs> yeah. Any CBS show. Yeah. So, um, so I guess Crash would kind of fit in that category, but I'm not sure if I know any other like movies that I would consider propaganda. I know there's that movie End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal. See, that would actually be a more nuanced take. The mm-hmm. whole idea behind like propaganda is that like there is no nuance when it comes to cops, like in portrayal of cops. So end of watch would is a little bit more on the other side of things like that offers like a little bit more of a nuanced take. Same thing with like a movie like training day, which Mm. like has like essentially where the cops are kind of the bad guys, but, but even still like, even in a lot of those movies, it's sort of like, well, that's just like one bad egg. Like, that's just, like, one person who's, like, corrupt and, like, we deal with them. But, like, other than movies like Do the Right Thing or Get Out, 
you don't really see the cops and approach them with like a sense of dread. It's on the whole, like they do the, like they are the good, the good guys. And um, a lot of people don't see them that way. So it's, it's interesting to like, now that I've sort of like been introduced to this concept to like go back. Uh, but like end of watch to your point is like, a more nuanced, more nuanced take, but mm. don't see them on the whole as much. It's honestly like any portrayal of a cop. <laughs> that would you consider the wire copaganda? I would consider that more that more nuanced too. Okay. I've never um, seen the wire, so I just I, I was wondering. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the wire because there's an a wire uh, the wire alum who is in uh, the King of Staten Island. Uh, there's like a wire alum in everything though. Even still, I wouldn't consider it as propaganda because like they are it is a more nuanced and smart take. But they still kind of like in the end, they're ultimately like the cops try to like do the right, do the right thing. I try, keep trying not to use the words do the right thing, <laughs> but um, I can't like get around it. So like the cops ultimately are like the good guys and rarely as an institution, cops are betrayed as the bad guys. And the reason that the wire is better than most is because you see perspectives from different angles and like that's why it's more nuanced like you see the cops and then you see people in Baltimore like and the way that they respond and react to those cops so it's more dynamic because you have multiple characters and multiple viewpoints and world perspectives whereas most shows it's all just like straight from the cops perspective so like that's the only thing that you have to go off yeah well that's a that's a great perspective and uh i guess i'll have to watch crash again yeah <laughs> no oh my god no please don't watch crash again i just like use <laughs> as an example of like why propaganda like can be bad well this is coming from someone who like liked crash and i never really thought of it from that standpoint but also the last time i saw crash was like in the late 2000s so yeah. I hadn't watched Crash since 2005, since it stole Best Picture uh, away from Brokeback Mountain. And uh, it, it was worse than I thought it was. I knew I wasn't going to like it, and it was even worse than I thought it was going to be. But, like, another reason I thought about that was because, hey, like, Crash is, like, super offensive. So if HBO Max is, like, going to take uh gone with the wind down and put up like a disclaimer about gone with the wind like let's also put up a disclaimer for crash and how offensive it is all right well thank you for that perspective <laughs> yeah just like propaganda is interesting to thought process yeah and i guess we'll uh put in the link dump more information yeah on the reports so yeah. all right so Do a whole episode on that but i won't <laughs> All right, um, so I guess we'll uh, shift gears here, if you will, to from propaganda. Firefighters. Firefighter-ganda. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the king of Staten Island. Yeah. There's not cops. I don't think that, yeah, there are like very few cops, if any. They're first responders. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the king of Staten Island, Judd Apatow's latest first meeting in five years. Yeah. Uh, 
starring Pete Davidson. Should before we delve in a little more in depth, uh, should we do our ten words or fewer synopsis? Yes, I was not ready today. Like I wasn't. <laughs> Shocker! I am ready for the first time, like ever. <laughs> do you All right. So yeah. Uh, sounds good. Okay. Um, I will go slowly to stall to give you time to think. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so. The synopsis, um, and we should warn you, minor spoilers ahead for this episode. This isn't really like a spoiler-like movie, but you never know if you really, really care that much. Um, we're not going to split it up into spoiler-free and spoiler-filled. Anyway, so my 10 words or fewer synopsis of The King of Staten Island is Pete Davidson's life. Take it or leave it. Okay, cool. So, all right, so mine is spoiled 20-something, smokes weed, and deals with grief of firefighter father. Was that 10? <laughs> that was somewhere around 10. Somewhere. I don't know if 20-something is a word or not. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Matt, you could have just said, who smokes weed? You could have just shortened that to stoner, and that would have saved you. Yeah. Saved I, was you fill, I was trying to fill in more gaps because I... <laughs> I didn't know what else to put in there. Again, not prepared. Thank you for your patience. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so the real synopsis, uh, I think I got this one for Wikipedia because I didn't like the IMDb one, felt too long. So a young man, Scott, must get his life together after his mom starts dating a new man who is also a firefighter, like his deceased father. So, yeah, it's pretty accurate. It's pretty much the synopsis. Beginning well, that, to end. Pretty much the synopsis beginning to end, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the plot. Well, like, Jeff Apatow movies are, like, mostly about just, like, kind of hanging out. <laughs> so. Jeff Apatow movies are very formulaic, I, I found. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of hanging out in this movie. <laughs> it's just, like watching i mean it's like another jed apatow movie about a slacker so that's a common theme that you get in jed apatow movies and there's like a lot of the same jed apatow beats that you see in the 40 year old virgin uh, knocked up train wreck this is 40 um and funny people which are pretty much i think i just listed all of jed apatow's movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least the ones he directed he's like he has long writing credits too but yeah i think like jed apatow's like has such an interesting set of movies because i feel like a lot of people have different opinions on them like one person's favorite jed apatow movies like not always the other person's favorite like there are things like that people can say that they like loved about Knocked Up um, that other people hate or like ditto funny people or train wreck. A lot of people have differing opinions on them, which I find so interesting because like a lot of his movies are like kind of similar in that sort of way. But yeah, it's very true. It's, it's, I guess like for me, Judd Apatow is very black and white. I either like you were saying, I either love his love his movies or I hate his movies. There is no in between. Uh, so, like for example, like I love Knocked Up. I guess I don't want to say I relate to it more. I just think the like the comedy, the writing is better, the humor is better. Um, I love Knocked Up, but like I hate Funny People. I love Trainwreck, but I hate This Is Forty. So, like 
yeah, like for me, there's no like black and white, or it's like it's very black and white. There's no, yeah. opinion. I guess we'll get into my opinions about yeah. the king. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. I, um, I think my favorite is Knocked Up, but I really like funny people and I like really appreciate like what funny people tries to do. And I think about like funny people every now and again, whereas Trainwreck, I like liked it when I saw it, but I honestly forgot about it. Like, I can't believe, like, I don't remember much about Trainwreck at all. And so I'm kind of like, that's like not a movie I've really, really thought about over the past five years when it came out. And so it's like, well, damn. It's like, well, why, like, it's interesting because I like liked it, but it didn't like really have an effect on me at the end of the day, like five years down the road. It all depends on like who you are and like with Judd Apatow, it's like what humor, what story, what kind of writing appeals to you. And for me, Trainwreck, I love Trainwreck. And if it's on, I will I will put it on. I will go out of my way to watch Trainwreck. I think Trainwreck is a blast. I think it's hilarious. And like, I remember like when it came out, like it was one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie of that year. I think it was 2015. So I just, I, I Which just was think, like two decades ago at this point. And yeah, exactly. But like, with funny people, I've seen it one time. I saw it one time. I didn't like it. I like found like I related to it not at all, and I just I have zero interest in watching it again. So uh, I am glad Judd Apatow is out of his like midlife crisis phase because um, like funny people and this is forty were like classic midlife crisis movies, and, and so it's like I'm done with that now, and so. Um, now that he's like moved on beyond that, like Trainwreck isn't a midlife crisis movie. Neither is um, King of Staten Island because they're both about like young people. And to your to your point, I think the King of Staten Island all is gonna boil down to how you approach Pete Davidson. So, yeah. what do you think about Pete Davidson? Because mm-hmm. I think that's like the make or break for you. Especially if Judd Apatow is sort of hit or even hit or miss. There's usually something for everybody in Judd Apatow. Therefore, the King of Staten Island, the star and co-writer is Pete Davidson. So how you think about him is really going to influence this movie. Exactly. So, um, yeah, like for me, like when it comes to Judd Apatow, it's always about one character, it's an, like more of like an older, past their teens, past their twenties, an older character, like, well, okay, in their twenties or late twenties, who comes to like a halting point in their life. It's like a make or break point and the decision needs like, and they have to make a decision about where to go and who they're going to associate with. And like, that's literally like all of Apatow movies. It's like, that's, that's, that's his formula. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But you're right, the, the main character, the star, the central focus of Judd Apatow's movies is really, to me, what what makes movies work or don't work. For example, like so, like Amy Schumer, she made Trainwreck work. Like she was a huge star at the time, or like it really propelled her into. Really, Judd Apatow's movies, I feel like, propel like these people into stardom. Yeah, and like, like, like they're like sort of famous, and then like they like they like star in his movie, then they're like stars. So like Trainwreck made Amy out Amy Schumer like an overnight sensation. Like, if you didn't know who Amy Schumer was, you knew her after that movie came out. And, like, same thing with, like, Steve Carell, Seth Rogen, so so on and so forth. So, and I feel like, yeah, people know who Pete Davidson is, but after, well, I feel like, like, quarantine kind of put 
King of Staten Island a little bit on the back burner. It would it it wouldn't have been. I feel like it more of it would have had more of like a cultural like sensation or like people talking more about this movie if it were to come out in theaters. I feel so like that, that is like why it's like really a special case that like this movie yep. is put on demand. And so this movie was released by Universal and Universal at the very beginning of the COVID outbreak like committed to basically putting all of their movies on demand. So this was all, this was gonna be on demand. Although there is like a sort of weird case where it was gonna be in drive-ins and they pulled it from drive-in theaters two days before release, which was bad PR release, which was bad PR and which Universal does not need right now because Universal, per our previous episode, where we talked about Trolls World Tour, which Universal released, is not in good graces with movie theaters. So to kind of like pull a fast one on independent drive-ins was not a good look for them. So <laughs> Universal's kind of the villain <laughs> of um, movie theaters in 2020. But I digressed. Uh, so, um, so it came out like on demand. So there's like, little option for people to like talk about Pete Davidson and his sort of performance and instead you have to watch it in the comfort of your own home which you can do every Saturday night on Saturday Night Live <laughs> and learn about Pete Davidson's life so there's really nothing that different about it and that's why I was talking about like the 1999 aspect before earlier like are people really going to dish out 1999 to watch a movie about Pete Davidson's life where they can do it for free on SNL? And that, again, is why this movie boils down to what you think about Pete Davidson. Like, is spending 1999 or any sort of money worth it? Well, for me, there's three reasons you're going to rent this movie. One, Pete Davidson, which we've already discussed. To Judd Apatow, which I mean, you are a Judd Apatow fan. If you're a loyal Judd Apatow follower, you're going to rent this movie and you're going to watch it. And three, word of mouth. If you've heard either really good things or really bad things about this movie and you're stuck at home in quarantine and you want like a family or not a family, but like a um, husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend movie night, then like this is this is the movie for you. So uh, like, those are the only three scenarios that like you're going to like pay this money for. But like if we are going to get onto the 1999 subject i do want to chat a little bit about that because i do think it's like a little unfair for people to be saying like oh 1999 is absolutely ridiculous like why would i spend 20 dollars on this movie you know it's crazy it's too high okay well like yeah it, it is a little high but if you think about it it's actually pretty cheap because when you go to the movie theaters i like i don't really know like the exact price of like your movie theater in your district but like if you want to go out to the movie theaters on like a Friday night, you want to do like dinner and drinks and then a movie with your significant other or your family or whoever, um, it's going to cost a pretty penny. So like you're going to say like dinner is like what, like 30, 40 bucks for your family. And then you're going to go out to a movie and spend $15 a ticket per person. Now that's if you, let's say a family of four, not a family of four is going to see this, but like a family of four is like $15 a ticket. That's uh, what, $60? So, I mean, if you have four people in your house, and not that you're going to have four people watching this movie, but like, let's say two people, if you have two people watching this movie and you spend $15 a ticket at the movie theaters, that's $30. So in essence, if you two are watching it together on the couch at home and it's 20 bucks, you're saving yourself $10. Or if it's like a family of four, you're saving yourself $40. So 
it's really not that much in the grand scheme of things. And but in the context of in the context of a movie, like that just adds to more of the experience of a movie and going out mm -hmm. and doing all these other things in addition to the movie. And so like it adds to the way that you think about and approach a movie and think about it afterwards. Whereas if you're watching it at home, you're especially during quarantine and you're not doing anything else, you're just clicking a button and saying purchase. And then by the time the credits are over, that's it. Like you move on, like, and you do other things like with your life. You're not doing these extra things like having dinner, going for drinks, mm -hmm. other stuff. It's the same. It's just like the same old, same old. So um, not that that situation is avoidable in quarantine though, but there is like, you, there is a cost benefit analysis of like what you have to do. Oh my fucking God, I can't believe it. It's just like I'm talking about cost benefit analysis of rent. You're not a statistics class. Like, like the cost, the cost of having an experience, like what is that worth to you? Yeah. And I like to think, especially going to a movie, going to a theater adds to the cost. So, so you are in the camp that $20 is too much. Yes, but also going to pivot and stop beating around, around the bush about that. I think it's too expensive, but I like, kind of liked the movie. <laughs> when all said and done. I, I think if it's like an at-home premiere and you yeah. are going to go to watch it and it's a new release, I think if you're watching it for like a family of four or whatever, I'm just throwing that out there. I know this is rated R, but like if you're watching it for a family of four, I think it's a very fair price, especially for like an at-home premiere like this on demand when you're not releasing it in the theaters. That being said, I do not, if Universal or anyone is listening to this, I do not want to discourage you from releasing movies in theaters because I still am very pro the theater going experience. I do not like, I'm okay with it now, but I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I do not like the format of releasing movies at home on demand. I have always, and I will always fight for movie theaters and releasing movies in theaters because I am all for that experience. And I think right now in this time, it puts a lot of people out of work and it, it's a burden on, it's a burden on a lot of people. So I, I do appreciate right now that they're putting movies on demand, but I really, really hope after this coronavirus thing ends that, that this trend of putting movies on demand at home premieres is over. Like, I really hope Universal takes that to the bank. So uh, that's just my two cents. Sorry, I just went on a rant. Yeah, like, and hopefully that, I mean, obviously these are all sort of special circumstances and we don't know what's gonna rise from the dust after all this settles, but yeah, and, it's like an interesting time. Fuck. And another thing too is like, interesting. yeah, another thing too is like, I mean, I don't want to sound hypocritical here, but like, let's say if I do rent a movie and I'm like, okay, like I rented this movie, then like I give my friends or like all my family, my password to have access to this movie. That's like also like, it's not pirating, but it's also kind of cheating. Like you're not giving that money to the studio for the experience or for watching the film. You are mooching off of your friends, which like, I get it, like money's tight right now, but like, it's also a way of kind of like stealing from the studios. Um, so I'm like not an advocate for that and I would not promote that, but like that's also kind of like a point where this on-demand thing is not, or like releasing it like 
virtually or like on demand over the internet is not like it doesn't work. It, it's it, it like it goes against whatever like the studios stand for and well, the studios so. make money from it. Like they make money from being on demand. Um, they make more money from being on demand than they do in the theaters. So yeah. that's like why like, they're pivoting towards this. And Universal has wanted to, wanted to do this for a long time. Yeah, and I know like a lot of people might be saying like, oh, like the studios are so greedy, like Pete Davidson job that they make so much money, but like, that's not it. Like there's so he many- so much of the mob. <laughs> yeah, like there's so many people and so many jobs that went into making this movie or like any movie in general. And like when you hire a movie or like you somehow skip skim off the top and like, you know, mooch off to your friends or whatever, you're you're stealing money from the studio and those jobs and the people that work on that movie. So again, like at least when you go to the theaters, you're individually purchasing a ticket and that 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 cost is either going to the studio or being split between the studio and the theaters. So Yeah, again, and all these things all these things are we know these things and the studios know these things and so they're all taking them into consideration when they decide if they're gonna release a movie in, on demand now or later in theaters. So yeah. they, they know, they, like, they're not oblivious yeah. to the market. I was just, I'm just like directing that towards our audience. <laughs> how I feel most. So, um, but anyway, getting, I guess we'll get back to the topic and reviewing. Yeah, let's just like. <laughs> uh, sorry, I went off the side right there. Talk a lot about like the <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff. Um, the movie. I said I I kind of liked it. What did you think? Um, I absolutely hated it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, let's do this. Yeah. I hate Pete Davidson so much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Let me back up. I don't hate Pete Davidson. I don't hate him. His type of humor is not my kind of humor. So when I say I, I don't hate him, I I think he's been through a lot of trauma and I, I respect him as a person, but his kind of humor is like, I don't find it funny. And I just, I knew I would not find this funny, but I said, eh, I'll give Judd Apatow a chance. And sure enough, it met my expectations. And I just, not that this movie really is supposed to be, it. it's a very dark comedy. So it's not really supposed to be that funny, but. It's a straight dramedy. Like, yeah. I mean, it's about dealing with like, a dead parent like that by nature is not funny so no it's not funny at all it's i mean you can make you can find humor in it but at yeah. the end of the day it's not funny the the situations and the storylines like nothing really just resonated with me yeah that's the thing like a lot of it's gonna come down to like how much you identify with the main character which is based off pete davidson's real life <laughs> so that's why Pete Davidson is the centerpiece of this movie. Yeah, so like for me, I guess the Jed Apatow formula that we talked about earlier, like reaching a certain age, hitting a wall, and then trying to overcome that that wall, and like like that just for me didn't work with the Pete Davidson storyline and and the losing the father storyline, and I feel like there was a lot of repetition and a lot of the same lines said over and over and over and over again, and I just felt like a lot could have been changed or they could have focused on other things rather than like every five seconds I'm reminded that yes, Pete Davidson's father, or sorry, I, I should really like know his name, um, Scott. I know, but like that's, that's the weird thing because this movie is semi-autobiographical. So like the character's name is Scott, but like we call him Pete Davidson because like it kind of is about Pete Davidson's life. So it's like, you kind of go back and forth. Like Pete Davidson's 
dad really did die like when he was seven, except in Pete Davidson's case, it was during 9-11. Yeah. Um, and this movie like smartly takes 9-11 out of the picture. <laughs> and um, yeah. Scott, the character's dad, just like dies in like a hotel fire. So um, so that was that was a good move <laughs> to not to not include that was melodramatic, I think. Well, I want to go back to that too. Like in the back of my mind, I had always known that um, Pete Davidson's dad had died in 9-11. Um, he's made it very public and he's very open about it. Yeah. Um, but when in the movie, because it's autobiographical, that him dying in the fire, the father dying in the fire, kind of took me out. Because I, I felt like I was like, I already know Pete Davidson's story. I know his dad's story. And that's not what happened to him. Granted, that being said, I think they did make a smart decision for like people who didn't know. But that almost, that kind of took me out of it. I'm not in a bad or good way at all. Uh, just 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 in the fact that I like I know Pete Davidson and that that's not what happened to his dad. So uh, well, they needed to for his uh, for storytelling purposes, they needed to tie his father's death to his profession because yeah. like that influences how Scott approaches Ray, who is a, also a firefighter and dates his mom. So like of how he approaches the firefighting profession. So like he always needed to die on the job, the Scott's father. Right, right, yeah. Um, I just guess, like, I guess knowing like myself that I know his dad died in 9-11 in such a public and such a horrific event that's happened, that happened in this country, um, that would kind of, I, to me, like, I feel like it would kind of, like, have a different impact on your life than in just, like, dying in fire and, um, like, just doing your normal everyday job. But, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there. Like, he died, like, yeah. like, it, it was, it was like, semi-autobiographical. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, you have to go into this knowing it is, like, yeah. not entirely based on people, like, but it is semi, yeah, semi-autobiographical. But anyway, so, like, that being said, <laughs> As I was saying, like, I didn't really, like, the Judd Apatow formula didn't work for me. Like, I didn't, it, it didn't work with Pete Davidson. I absolutely, I will say this. Um, the two positives I will take away from this movie. One, Marissa Tomei. I, I always, like, I, I never think, like, I, I love her and I think she's great. Um, I do, I do not want her to start getting cast in kind of this stereotypical, like, caring mom, aunt role, like she is in Spider-Man, for example who like, you know, is like the single mom type. Anyway, like I thought she was very good. I love Marissa Tomei. She's not also like kind of happy with this. She had an interview recently where she expressed some sort of regret of like moving in those roles, like as an actress, like she's doing those things. Like she plays Aunt May in the Spider-Man series. And like now in the King of Staten Island, she is playing like a loving, caring single mom, like as you say. So she expressed those sort of things too. And not to spend too long on Marissa Tomei's career, but I feel like Marissa Tomei always gets caught in this like web, no pun intended, of, <laughs> of like she can't get no respect. Like, Marissa Tomei, like, never gets the respect that um, she is searching for. And I think she's a great actress. 
Um, but like, and this all comes down to when she won the Oscar in 92 for um, My Cousin Vinny, um, which was a upset win. Like no one expected her to win. She wins and like people even at the time thought it was a mistake. This is like pre-La La Land Moonlight, <laughs> way before that. And like, they honestly thought they like read the wrong card, which like, imagine being that like as an actress, like, oh no, like it was a mistake that you won an Oscar. Like it's like, th this can't be right. So she's like, ev even ever since then, she's been like on the hunt to like earn that respect for people, even after she won an Oscar. And she has since been nominated twice <laughs> for uh, other performances for an Oscar. She was nominated for In the Bedroom and she was nominated for The Wrestler. So like, and then even still, she's kind of given these like thankless mom roles. Like, so like- This was like the 93 Oscars, like wasn't like, was it Vanessa Redgrave that was like, the, the yeah, so like she was up against in 92, she was like up against all these like big prestige actresses and one for a comedy. Like my cousin Vinny is like not an Oscar, typical yeah. Oscar movie <laughs> that expect. So like that just like added to the narrative of like, there's no way this movie and this performance. And she's like, great, My Cousin Minnie. She's the best part about My Cousin Minnie. And then she won and like Hollywood just like takes a crap all over her. So for winning. Yeah. Well, isn't it like the, it's not like the like the saying like once you win an Oscar, like Hollywood's done with you or something like that? I think Marissa Tomei is like the, the poster child for yeah. Too. she's like constantly and i just like i want her i like want the best for her because i do think she's great um so and she's good in this so i just like don't want it to your point i don't want her to get all these like mom roles because she deserves better than that. yeah yeah and, i mean this movie i i don't think she's a good character um and that's the screenplay's fault that's not marissa jimmy's fault so no that's yeah that's really true anyway back to so i love marissa jimmy i thought she was great Another character I have, or another actress I love, and um, like I don't know how you see her or not, but I think Maud Apatow is turning into quite the little actress. Like she's been in like this is Judd Apatow's daughter, and like we knew her growing up over the years. She like been yeah. briefly in Hollywood, which was um, Ryan Murphy's Netflix show, um, and she was uh, she had kind of a small role on that, but still an important role. She's a main role on Euphoria. Yes, yeah, Euphoria, yeah. Oh my god, I completely forgot about this. Great euphoria. But but again, like not like superstar and actress. Um, I would love to see how like as the star of a movie and like really see her acting chops. Because I, I think she is very talented. And like just seeing her grow up over the years and jump back to those movies and like taking on these bigger roles, I I've seen her evolution and I <laughs> I don't want to say like I'm proud of her, but like I kind of am. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she, she was, uh, she was, she impressed me in this movie. I thought this, she was better than Pete Davidson. <laughs> I think this needs to be Maud Apatow's last Judd Apatow movie. Like, yes, I, yes, I agree. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Stop starring um, movies. <laughs> no, I, okay. So this like adds to like the idea of like 
nepotism in Hollywood, which is like obviously a big deal. And there's a joke, and I think it's like one of the funniest jokes in the movie about this. There's a line where like a guy at a restaurant is like, what's nepotism? He's like, is that a disease? And like the waitress goes like, yeah, a bad one. (laughs) Like, which is a funny joke inherently, but like even funnier in the context of a Judd Apatow movie, because like Judd Apatow like casts his daughter in like every single movie and his wife. Um, like, Leslie Mann is his wife and is in half of Judd Apatow's movies. So, um, I have like a weird sort of idea of nepotism because like the idea of like, I think it's like natural to do like what your parents do or work in the same industry as like what your parents want to do. And so I think it's like, okay for them to do that and to like act, for example. But like, I think Maude Apatow has kind of evolved past that. Like, like you said, she's on Hollywood. She's on Euphoria. Which is actually a movie or show about nepotism, but anyway. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I honestly feel like they don't resolve the the sister storyline in this like movie. So she plays Scott, Pete Davidson's character's sister. And she's like the successful one. And she like goes off to college at the beginning of the movie and like leaves Scott who's in, in his mid twenties, like behind like with his mom. So honestly, because they like don't ever really resolve her storyline, it almost like felt like an excuse to like just cast your daughter again, like in the movie. So it's kind of like, all right, like Maude, like be done with this, like move on, like don't be in any more of your dad's movies and or Judd, don't cast your daughter like anymore. Like you've established a name for yourself and like, I get that. Now, like, go, move on. I want to see you more in Hollywoods and Euphorias. So, like, that's why I'm hoping this is the last one. <laughs> I hope they're, like, not tempted to any do, do this ever again. Because, like, she has, like, she's made a name for herself at this point. So, be done with, be done with Judd. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, let's be honest. She's, she's not done with Judd. I, I don't I Maybe, um, I I kind of disagree. I don't think she has quite made the name for herself. Like she is working on that, but, but she she's, w- at this point she's been in like all. I mean, she's in Knocked Up. She's in This Is Forty. I'm pretty sure she's in Funny People. She's I like she's in this. But like that thing is like she's in those movies, but she's not the star. Like I want her to like I want her like. I want her to star in something. I want her to, like, to be the central focus of, of something. I yeah, really I can agree with that. Yeah, yeah I want to see, see her, like, real talent come out and shine. Because I really saw it, like, starting to come out in King of Staten Island. She really put, like, you, like, what you all said, like, obviously, like, about her, like, being cast in this role and, and the, the part she was given, that's not her fault. Um, yeah, yeah. The best of it, you know, what, what she could. Um, and I, I want to see more of her. Like, I wanted to see more, more of her story. Um, and I wanted to see more, more of, like, her struggles in, like, college and growing up and dealing with her dad's death. Um, because, like, she never really had a father. She didn't know her father. 
because um, he died when she was very, very young. Yeah, I actually do think one of my criticisms, and I feel like I like this movie despite its criticism, my criticisms of it, um, one of the criticisms of this movie is how it like treats a lot of its female characters, primarily the mom and the, and the sister, um, because like those are their roles. They are the mom and the sister. <laughs> they don't have, they don't have ones of themselves. Like she goes off to college, like every now and again, they talk about her mom, um, their mom together, like Scott and Claire, who's Maude Apatow plays. Like they talk about them together, but like you don't really ever like get a sense and she never like really forms her own sort of character behind this and her she goes unresolved kind of like she just goes off to college and that's kind of it <laughs> like her character is resolved at the very beginning oh also fun fact her friend at the beginning who she goes to college with is played by timothy chalamet's sister pauline oh, really? yeah um, also an actress so just kind of there's a lot of random cameos in this movie but she's like not a big actress at all but um i recognized the last name and i was like what <laughs> and oh, Pauline, Pauline Chalamet. Yeah, yeah. So, huh. also, oh, yeah, kind of looks like him. I'm, I, I'm yeah. looking at. Also, her it's Timothy Chalamet's older sister. So, like, she's like in her late twenties and like playing an eighteen year old, um, yeah. but she like pulls it off. She's barely in like two scenes. So, yeah. but anyway. No, nope, um, like, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I just think this movie, like, kind of, it underwrites a lot of its female characters, um, with the exception of Kelsey, who is Scott's on-again, off-again girlfriend. I can't even really call them girlfriends. It's hookup. Um, played by Belle Pauly um, from Diary of a Teenage Girl and the TV show The Morning Show. Um, and I think Belle Pauly is, like, the best. I'm just gonna say it. I think she's like the best actor <laughs> in this movie. She's so good. Um, and she nails the Staten Island accent. I think she's the one who has the best accent um, out of everyone. Yeah, uh, she, and she's great. Yeah. She's so. like, she's probably my favorite character in this. I just yeah. think she's, she's like really good. So, I, yeah, I think she's really good. I think she's a little underwritten. Um, I, I kind of, again, like, this movie is too focused on, I and I hate to say this, but like it's it's too focused on like Bill Burr. <laughs> um, I love I see Bill Burr is like my number two. I think Bill Burr and Bell Polly are like the two people who I'm like most focused on and like interested in. Yeah, but like I see. So here's the thing: is like. So Pete Davidson, who is supposed to be the star of this movie, like, I really feel like he doesn't get a chance to shine because he is, the, I just feel like the other characters that surround him kind of overshadow him and overplay him throughout the whole thing. Like, like Bill Burr, like, um, like Marissa, even I, even I feel like Marissa Tomei and, um, I, I never quite feel like a sense of connection to Pete Davidson because I'm always focused on these other characters and their issues surrounding him. Um, so like that's that's really where my underlying problem is, is that it's it's not a focus of of Scott. It's not a focus of Pete Davidson. It's 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 
that I have to focus so much on like on like everything going on in the fire department and everything going on at home and everything going on with the sister and everything going on with, with um the the girl he's uh, uh Belle Polly. Um it's just like and then also like you have the backstory of like, oh what's your dream? Like he doesn't he has like all he, he has like this like dream that like of like opening up like a tattoo parlor and like a restaurant all in one, which is like shot down immediately by like Mon Aptos. So it's like that's it's, a oh my God. it's so funny though. <laughs> what are Tuesdays? Yeah, like 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 this is like, really funny. Again, like it's such a bad idea. And I have like I'm like, please don't go through with that. Like I have zero like That's like classic millennial though. Um, which is like funny because um he's uh Pete Davidson's on the younger end of millennials, but I, he like barely fits into millennials. But that's like sub that's very fits into millennials. But that's like sub that's very classic of a millennial to be both kind of like lazy but have high ambitions um that are like dumb and he like fits that perfectly. So from like a purely generational aspect that fully fully checks out. Millennials are not lazy. So, but, overall, um, I'm overall. I say this as a millennial. I I, I wholeheartedly disagree. Um, but we can have that debate on another podcast. Um, <laughs> gladly, I love generational debates. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm I I will gladly talk. Uh, I will defend millennials till I'm blue in the face. Um, me too. Me too. I just think, I'm not saying it's inherently good or bad. Lazy is not one word I would describe. Something that's very indicative of a generation. So um, his high ambitions that he'll like obviously never reach. Um, but I also like don't think that like the ambitions are that high because I I never really was like supportive of the idea and I like. But he I, is. He's serious about it. That's the point. It's how he perceives it to be. Yeah, and uh, but like again, like I'm watching a movie and I'm trying to relate to this person. I'm not relating to you on this level of like opening a tattoo restaurant parlor. Um, I just. I don't know. I, I feel like you want like one shop. I don't know, aim higher. I guess. I but yeah. oh, it is like it is a dumb idea. Like <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> um, it's hilarious, uh, and that's why it's funny because yeah. and the name Ruby Tattoos Days. <laughs> Ruby Tattoos Days. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. I guess. Um, um, yeah, so like back to like Claire and, and Bell Polly, like they're kind of towards the end. As he um, towards the end, he send, starts to spend more time. Like he goes to the firehouse because he's kicked out of his own house, and like spends time at the firehouse, like living there. And he, as he like becomes like closer to Ray and Ray's kids, he does not um, spend time with Claire. And I think you like really feel her absence. And I think that's my design. And so like when she comes back, like towards the end of the movie, like she's like a welcome sight. Uh, and it's like, you really see like she can have like a good influence on him. Um, but the reason I think like Claire's like the best written character is because like she's the only one, she has the most um, autonomy and like does things on her own too. She has her own arc of 
um, like exploring to become like a city planner or like work in the city and is like really passionate about Staten Island and rep representing Staten Island. And like that's like revisited multiple times like throughout the movie. And, and, that, and that's why I liked her so much is because she was so passionate about something. Whereas I felt like Pete Davidson, Scott, was like, he was, he was just like, eh, he was like kind of passionate about, it. like, he, like I wouldn't even call him passionate about, it. he was like, it was just like kind of a thing he wanted to do. Um, I never felt like he had a real driving force or a passion. Um, he doesn't, he's like, that's the point of the movie. So he, that like, like, he's lazy and. Like that, and that, so like that definitely like, it turned me off to him and I like had, I just didn't have any interest at all in, where he where he went, I just I thought his character was so boring, and I I didn't care about him at all. Whereas, like that's what I was trying to say earlier is like the other characters in his life overshadow him, and uh, like because they're so passionate about things, and like you know um, Claire going to be a city planner or or Maud Apatow's character going to college, um, or like you know his mom ben and Bilber forming this relationship completely overshadow anything that of the central character and I was just that that's where the movie lost me and I, that's uh, to me like it so that just made it very like con confusing and boring and yeah so like that's that's essentially why I did not like it yeah like again like this is why I think like this whole movie boils down to like what you think of Pete Davidson and his character and your ability to like relate to his character um I like I kind of like like watching the scenes especially like kind of just the hangout scenes where they don't really do anything they just kind of like talk and like make fun of each other um so yeah, you know, it's like I, I if we boil down down to that like I hate those scenes I hate those donor scenes I think they're so boring I just don't find any humor in them and like just like we can cut all this out and it would just be like totally fine and, yeah. See, like, I like those scenes for whatever reason. Um, a common criticism, a uh, criticism that I'm pretty sure you probably share of Judd Apatow movies, and this movie in particular, is, like, it's a little long. Um, so... Two, two, two hours, like, yeah, it's, like, a two-hour and 15-minute movie. Yeah. So, um, and I never really felt it, um, mostly because, like, I like those scenes, and I find them uh funny like the hangout scenes i think they have like really good one-liners uh and like really good situational humor so i like get lost in those scenes pretty quickly um but like if you're annoyed by them that generally makes a movie feel longer than it actually is or not actually is it just makes a movie feel longer if you want to yeah like those are like my least favorite parts of like knocked up and like 40 year old virgin like i I like the movies, but like I don't like, I don't like their scenes. I, I feel like they're like, I feel like they're there strictly for the stoners, and that's about it. Oh, you can't sleep? Why don't you dip your weed in some Nyquil, you fucking drug addict? <laughs> that was my favorite. Uh, one liner. Yeah. Uh, uh, I also loved uh, "Eat a Dick, Joy." Like, oh, I did. I had one for breakfast. <laughs> Well, when you say it in that context, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Coming out of your mouth. That's hilarious. Uh, 
thank you for the sex. It was wonderful until you started talking. <laughs> that was Belle Pauly. <laughs> yeah, she's great. And a lot of his movies are, correct me if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, a lot of them are improvised. Um, so like I would not be, yeah, surprised if like half those things were. Yeah. No, like a lot of those scenes, yeah, I think a lot of those scenes are just like set off the cuff. And yeah, because these are like comedians. Like most of the people in this movie are like comedians and stand-up comedians at that. So like they have to improvise. They like are the ones who like feed off each other the most. Yeah, yeah, the minor characters in those, like like not like Marissa Tomei, like obviously, and like Maude Apatow is not a comedian, but like all the other side characters that like, the, the main character is like friends with, like those are usually the comedians. So, yeah. Um, but overall, I guess, um, yeah, I guess my, unless you have anything else to say about it, I don't. Um, no, I like, I, despite its flaws, which are like flaws, like I think it could have been edited more. I think it could have treated its, female characters more. I like, am still pretty drawn to this. Um, I think it really excels in its last 45 minutes. I think like the, the end, the last half third of this movie are like really good as he starts to develop friendships like with people at the firehouse. Who oh. Steve Buscemi. Okay, we didn't talk about Steve Buscemi yet. Yeah. Um, has a very, small role but he is fantastic um he um he has like a really really special scene uh in the bar where he's like telling scott like about his dad because he knew his dad and like experiences that he had with him and it was like really and steve buscemi like completely nails it and it's like the best i think it's the best scene in the movie i cried uh <laughs> well i didn't I didn't cry, but ever since um, Boardwalk Empire, I have been like number one Steve Buscemi fan. Um, so when I saw him in this, I was very surprised. I didn't know he was in it. Um, he was but, a firefighter in in real life. Like he he was a firefighter on 9-11 too. And right. um, so I so he was like obviously very very fit to play yeah. this, this role. So when I saw that scene that you're referring to, um, where they're in the bar, I was like. I, I kind of saw Steve Buscemi as like, like someone who would be comforting me, like after like, like when I lost my father, like I had a lot of like my dad's friends try to comfort me and tell me stories. And I was taken back to that. And that was such like, even though the stories were like, you know, he's like, tell me the real version of these stories. Like they were, he was like being very honest about his dad's stories. Um, he was telling, uh, Scott thinks that like he didn't want like maybe he like shouldn't have heard but like um like about like they're doing drugs or drinking or whatever um but in the end like the theme of that conversation the whole bottom line is that his dad was a great guy his dad was a really good person and a hero in the fire department um and for New York um so like I really appreciated that and um Steve Buscemi is just like an amazing actor but like he really like that wasn't even acting. That was just like him being such like a good person. Um, and so I really felt that resonate within me. Um, so that scene was very like, that scene was special to me. Um, just because, you know, I could relate to it. 
Um, and I feel like anyone who's lost a parent um, can obviously kind of relate to this movie, but that scene in particular, that was that would be the one that would stand out the most. Yeah, I, I think I think that was the best scene in the movie. It was like it was really earned. Like it it felt real and raw. And that was Yeah. I'm like really glad C Buscemi did this movie because he could star in his own movie and does this movie where he has ten minutes of screen time maybe. <laughs> Uh, and like completely ends up being like one of the most consequential characters kind of in the movie. And, um, really glad, glad that he did that. I loved yeah. Imagine if we, like, we were like in the early 2000s talking about like Steve Buscemi in this way. <laughs> like, because like, yeah. we didn't take seriously. Yeah. <laughs> and like now he's just like just such a phenomenal actor and person. And yeah, I just I think he's so great. And I, I have so such a strong and loving yeah. respect for them. So that's kind of why I'm like okay with the runtime because I like really do feel like the last 45 minutes are like really strong. And like I feel like they work their way up to those scenes like at the end um, that like deliver sort of emotional payoff. So it's it's almost paradoxical in a way of like me recognizing the flaws of like the first two thirds of this movie, but then the last third like really, really delivers and makes me feel good like leaving the movie. So I like end up liking it despite the earlier flaws. So it's it's weird for me, um, but, but I, uh, yeah, I guess after like like talking it out and like thing breaking it down scene by scene, I didn't hated as much as I thought it did at first. Um, but I still like, it's not a movie I would probably, it's not a movie I would sit and watch again. It was- Pay $19.99 for, which um, I still yeah. maintain. Like, again, that's why like, if you think you're gonna like a 1995 or 1999 Pete Davidson movie, like you'll probably like this movie. <laughs> if you think you're gonna be through hell, you probably won't like this movie. Yeah. And there are those who just didn't have a choice because they have to review it on the podcast. So <laughs> for the podcast, yeah. So you have to watch it either. So, um, so I guess final grade. It's like a solid B for me. Okay. Um, I I would I was gonna say um, I think C minus for me. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's available on demand now. So uh, they might like move down the price eventually. I've noticed they've done that with movies that were released at the beginning of COVID. Um, now they're down to like six ninety nine. So yeah, yeah that's a, a Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. So, but all right. Well, um, should we chat about our what, what's coming up on the docket? The the last edition, at least of uh, new movies for the Step and Repeat Film Festival. Yes. More more comedies. This one should be probably strict comedy instead of dramedy. Uh, Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> the Fire Saga. 
like saying the title like just makes me laugh. Yeah. Well, we're not getting a real Eurovision this year, so at least we get a movie. Yeah, right. Um, not that I really watch Eurovision <laughs> anyway. Um, I didn't even know it was a thing until this movie came out. Um, but really? anyway. Oh, yeah. that is surprising. Um, um, we'll talk about it more next week. Um, but just like, I just want to say like, the trailer dropped earlier this week, the full trailer, or was it last week? Um, so it's a, like, just check it out. Um, but like, they released a teaser a couple weeks before that um, with this, with like a song from the movie. And it's actually like really good. So I really like, I really enjoy the, the teaser they put out. So. Um, Will yeah. Ferrell, Rachel McAdams. Hmm. I, I honestly don't know what to expect from this movie. I could see myself loving it or I could see myself hating it. So. We'll so, see. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> comes out on Netflix uh, on this coming Friday. Uh, yep. So on June 26th. So you can watch it too. And if you watch it, send us your own thoughts at stepandrepeatpod at gmail.com. And then we'll read your review on the air. So Netflix, June 26th. Yeah. This um, Step and Repeat Film Festival has moved from very much a drama all the way through the spectrum to, I know. <laughs> to full comedy. I would like, honestly, I would even debate it got like more comedic as like the time went on, like early was the most dramatic, but now uh, your song contest is like strict comedy. And like to five points, like it's more drama, but it has some comedy. And like yeah. King of Staten Island is like more comedy, but has a lot of drama. And yeah. like, exactly. It's definitely moved across the spectrum. So we'll end on a funny note next week. It was um, not intentional, but <laughs> it worked that way. Yeah, but hey, there you go. But anyway, um, so on that note, I guess we'll close it out here. Um, and as always, we'd love to hear more from you. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at RepeatStepPod and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash DepAndRepeatPod. And you can find more of our reviews on Letterboxd. I am mgrant1219, and Andrew is a shine. Um, and please, you know, spend a few seconds to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. New reviews help us find new listeners. Um, and if you drop us a review, we promise to read your reviews on the air. And if you give us a five-star review, we will say anything that you write and it will be on the airwaves for all of history. So until next time, thank you for listening. And I think I speak for Andrew when I say that it is an honor just to be considered. Eat a dick, Joy! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>